0: Okay, let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing today. Lord, we do come before you, and for your word to have any powerful effect on our lives, it must be anointed and empowered with your spirit. And so that's what we're asking, Lord. Would you give power to the word of God to do its transforming work in the lives of people? Lord, if there are any that have come here today that are not Christians, we pray that you would do do that work in their hearts so they know you're real. They know that Jesus Christ has come to deliver them and you enable them to put their faith in him. And Lord, for those that are your saints, would you instruct us, Lord, in the way you would be pleased that we would live in terms of not judging. Help us to know what that means. Give us clarity, Father. And so we ask for you to come now and speak, Lord. And we'll be careful to give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think is the most popular Bible verse of all? Now if you're like me, your mind immediately races back to what? John three sixteen, you know, the football stadiums in John three sixteen and very, very popular verse. But, you know, I don't think that is the one that's most quoted the most often because that's quoted by Christians, but almost every non-Christian has another verse that they like to quote. (laughs) Judge not, that ye be not judged. And that's our text for today. The sin of judging others. We need to remember the context from which Jesus gives this statement. He gives it in Luke 6.37, but the previous paragraph leading up to Luke 6.37 is about loving your enemies. And Jesus is commanding his disciples to love their enemies. Now remember, that's the opposite of taking vengeance on their enemy. They are not to take vengeance, but they're not even to not retaliate against their enemies. They are to go one step further, and they are to do good actively actively. their enemies. So here we've got people that are hurting the disciples of Jesus, wounding them, doing things to them that they don't like. Jesus says, turn around and actively do good to them. And besides all that, I want you not to judge them. I want you not to condemn them. Instead, I want you to forgive them and give to them. That's his word for his disciples. Now, We will be tempted, won't we? When someone does something to hurt us or to wound us, we're going to be tempted to judge them. We're going to be tempted to condemn them in our hearts. We're going to be tempted to withhold forgiveness from them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. We don't want to give to them. We don't want to forgive them. We want to judge and condemn them. And Jesus says you must do the thing that is contrary to your natural instincts. I want you to love them, accept them, forgive them, and be an instrument of giving into their lives. Now, what does it mean not to judge? Let's try to figure that out before we go any further. People quote the verse, judge not that you be not judged all the time, but what does that really mean? Well, let's look at it in its context. Let's look at verse 37 and 38. And let's analyze these two verses a little bit, okay? There are first, uh, two negative commands: "Do not judge, do not condemn." And then there's two positive commands: Pardon and give." So the very first one, "Do not judge." He then explains that further by the next one: "Do not condemn." So condemning has to do with judging. What's the opposite of con- to condemn somebody? To acquit them or to accept them. Yeah. If you condemn someone, you're rejecting them. The opposite of that is to accept them. To accept them. And so, to not judge someone is to accept them. It's to extend forgiveness to them. It's to give of yourself to them. It's not to close them off or shut them out and say, I have nothing more to do with you at all. It's to invite them in and to accept them. So... There we have, in verse 37, the two negative commands and the two positive commands. And then in verse 38, he tells us what will happen when we do these kinds of things. It will be given back to us. And then at the end of verse 38, he tells us that this works by your standard of measure in which you give. It will be given back to you in return. And I don't think verse 38 primarily has to do with the giving of money. Although that might be included in some sense. I remember as a young Christian, week after week after week, whenever the offering would come around, the, pre- the preacher would stand up and he would quote this verse Give and it will be given to you. They'll pour into your lap, good measure, press down, shake it together, running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. But what I want you to do is look at the context. What's the immediate context having to do with? Do not judge, do not condemn. Pardon, give. So, give non-judgment, and you'll receive non-judgment. Give non-condemnation. You're going to receive non-condemnation. Give pardon. You're going to receive pardon. Give, give, give. That's the immediate context of what Jesus is talking about here. It's acceptance, it's love, it's mercy, it's forgiveness. And if we will give in these ways, He promises that it's going to come back to you. Okay, so, with that as an introduction, I want to ask five questions this morning about judging others, the sin of judging others. And the first one is this, in what areas must we not judge others? In what areas must we not judge others? Now the next question is going to be, in what areas must we judge others? So we need to make a distinction. What areas must we not judge others? First of all, in assigning evil motives to other people. We must not do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So here's the command from Paul. Don't go on passing judgment. But what you should do instead is wait until the Lord comes. And what will he do? He's going to bring to light the things hidden in the darkness. And he's going to disclose the motives of men's hearts. So why are we not to go on passing judgment right now before the time comes? Because we don't understand the motives of people's hearts, do we? Only the Lord does. Those are the things hidden in the darkness that we just can't understand, we don't get, we, we can't possibly know them. But God, the all-seeing eyes of God, know the hearts of every person. And so we need to wait until He brings to light those things that are hidden in darkness. Isn't it arrogant for us to think that somehow we know why that person did what they did? You know, we're, we're playing God when we do that. Let's think through a, a fictional account. We've got two folks, two two ladies, Barbara and Nicole. And they've been friends for 25 years. They're really close friends. But over the last few months, they've grown a little bit distant, just through the busyness of life. And Nicole has done something that deeply hurt Barbara. I mean, just wounded her. It was tearing her up. And she didn't know why. She didn't understand it. And so she went and she talked to her husband for like two hours about this situation just getting it off her chest and saying, why why would she do that to me? Why would she do that? And even after talking to her husband, she couldn't get it out of her mind. And so then, she went to bed and couldn't sleep. And all kinds of things are racing through her mind as to why did Nicole do that? I don't get it. And she starts to assign these horrible, evil motives to this friend that she's had for so many years. I don't know if you can relate to this. I don't know if anything like that's ever happened to you. But... All the way into the middle of the night, finally the Lord begins to correct her. And she realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't even talked to Nicole. I have no idea why she did what she did. And so she decides, I'm just going to extend mercy and give her the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to sit down with her and talk to her, and we're going to have a chat about this, and we'll find out what's going on. See, that's what it means to not judge that you may not be judged. It's it's to extend non-judgment to people in the arena of their, their motives. And secondly... To not judge others means that we don't show contempt to other people. You understand what we mean by contempt, right? Looking down on somebody as though they're beneath you, as though you despise them, they're inferior. In Romans 14, Paul is talking to the church at Rome about the gray areas of the Christian life, areas where Christians exercise liberty. And he talks about drinking wine, eating meat, and observing one day instead of another day, And I just want to read to you what he says in Romans 14, verse 3 and 4. He says, The one who eats is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? And then verse 10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now notice the two words that are put in close association here. Verse 10. Why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why do you judge your brother? One is explaining the other. To show contempt for another brother is to judge your brother, according to the Apostle Paul. So if we assign evil motives to somebody... That's judging our brother. If we look down on our brother as though he's beneath us and inferior to us and we're superior, that's also judging our brother. Do you remember when Jesus was going to tell that parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector? This is how Luke 18 verse 9 begins. Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So the Pharisee was judging the tax collector. He viewed him with contempt. He despised him as someone who was not worth his time. And so these are the areas that God is calling us to withdraw judgment. No evil motives. Let's leave that to the Lord. Let's wait until he comes. He knows the motives of men's heart. And let's not look down on other people. Let's regard others as the way we want them to regard us. You know, I was thinking this last week. It's easy to show contempt for other people. It might be because of their uh, social status or their financial situation or the, the problems in their life or maybe this sin issue that we don't happen to be struggling with at the moment. But have you ever wondered, if I had lived their life, would I have turned out any better than them? I mean, they lived with a whole different set of factors than I did. They had different parents, or maybe they didn't have parents. They had a whole different social structure. I think that might help us, and it might help us to be more accepting and forgiving and non-judging if we would just remember, wait a minute, this is between them and the Lord. It's not between me to decide who am I. I am not their judge. The Lord is their judge. So that's the first question. Second, in what areas must we judge others? And you say, Well, Brian, why would you even bring that up? Because Jesus said, We're not supposed to judge. <laughs> judge not that you be not judged. We're not supposed to judge anyone at any time ever. Well, not so fast. The parallel verse to Luke 6:37 is Matthew 7, verse 1. He repeats the same sentence, two different places. Do not judge so that you're not judged. But five verses later, in Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So he says, don't judge, in verse 1. In verse 6 he says, don't give your pearls to swine. Don't give the holy things to dogs. Now in order to obey Matthew 7, 6, we have to make a judgment. Because we have to know who a swine is and who a dog is. Because we have to know who we're not supposed to give these holy things to. Right? So you cannot obey Matthew 7, 6 without exercising some kind of a judgment. A discerning judgment. And then in verse 15 of Matthew 7, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Here again. Here again. Fourteen verses later, Jesus says that we have to exercise another judgment. We've got to know who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we have to look at the fruit of their life and make a, a judgment about that person, whether they're a wolf in sheep's clothing or whether they're a genuine follower of Christ, whether we should listen to them when they teach the word or whether we should beware of them. So there are certain situations in which we are going to have to make judgments. And I have limited those to uh, two situations. We need to make judgments in cases of false doctrine and in cases of unrepentant sin. First of all, in cases of false doctrine. The Apostle Paul, when he went through the region of Galatia, made all kinds of converts. And Paul taught the gospel of the grace of God. Paul basically taught that salvation comes through receiving Christ plus nothing, that our works have absolutely nothing to do with our acceptance before God. It's Jesus' works that make us acceptable to Him. So he taught the gospel of grace, and then he left, and as soon as he left, these other guys came in behind him. They were Jewish teachers. We call them Judaizers and they taught something a little bit different than what Paul had taught. They are saying, hey, we're really glad that you're believing in Jesus. That's great, because we also believe that he's the Messiah. But if you want to be saved, not only do you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised and become a Jew, and then you need to obey the law of Moses. And when Paul got wind of this, he was furious. And that's why he wrote the book of Galatians. He wanted to straighten out these converts that were starting to drift and starting to believe a lie that the Judaizers had told them. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, do you know what he meant when he said, let him be accursed? Let him be eternally cut off. Let him be damned to hell. That's how strongly Paul felt about these people who are teaching a different gospel. Now, someone, I'm sure, would have stood up if their century was anything like our 21st American culture and say, wait a minute, judge not that you be not judged, Paul. Right? Well, Paul would have said, this is an area in which you have to make some judgment." There are times and places when you are going to have to make a a judgment, and this is one of them. When it comes to false teaching, you cannot be silent. You cannot be accepting of everybody that says something to you, supposedly in the name of God. You turn on the radio and you hear people preaching. Folks, you need to learn to be discerning about whether they're telling you the truth or a lie. You turn on the television set, same thing. We, We have messages coming to us constantly. We need to have our antennas up, our spiritual Bible filters over our minds so that when they say something, we're filtering that. Okay, is that what the Bible says? Is that true or false? Are they speaking the truth? 1 John 4, one, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Make a judgment about what people are saying to you. You don't know whether it's a true prophet or a false prophet. Or 2 John chapter, well, there's only one chapter, verses 9 through 11. John says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds now in the first century you had many people going from city to city itinerant preachers and teachers and remember back in the first century the churches met in homes and so what he's saying to you is if you meet somebody who doesn't agree with what I've taught you in this letter he doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ this is what you do you don't even greet him you don't even say, hello, how are you doing, brother? Welcome. You don't do that. And you especially don't invite him into your house because that's where the church meets. You don't bring him into a church meeting and let him take his stand and start spewing out all of this false doctrine. You make a judgment about him based on what he teaches. Is it in line with God's word? And if it is not, then you'd have nothing to do with that teaching. That's what the Bible says we are to do. We are to be discerning. We are to be judging the teaching of other people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, even if a believer stands up and believes he has a word from God, a prophecy, and says, this is what I believe God has said for us today as a church, what are the rest of the church supposed to do? It says we're supposed to pass judgment on what he says. So when it comes to doctrine, we are to be very, very careful. We are to be discerning. We are to be di- those who exercise judgment. You can turn on your radio or your, your TV and you can hear someone say, you know, you can have your best life now. In fact, you need to be thinking about this life and getting as much out of it as you can. Well, I would just ask you to be discerning about that person who makes those statements. Is what he's saying in line with God's word? Remember what we read in Luke chapter 6 so far? Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you who are persecuted and hated and insulted for the sake of the Son of Man, for your reward is great in heaven. Does what this guy on TV, is that line up with what Jesus taught us? And if it doesn't, we don't listen to that guy. We make a judgment about him. If you hear someone saying that, you know, the Bible really doesn't teach that there is a trinity. I hear this one a lot from the cults. (laughs) There's really no Trinity in the Bible, and what they mean is the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. Well, we can agree with them on that. But is the concept, is the truth that God is one, but yet manifests Himself in three persons, is that found in Scripture? If it is, and I believe it is, then we reject. We make a judgment about that other teaching. If someone says salvation is by grace, but you have to be baptized in order to be saved... But you have to receive the grace through the church, through observing the seven sacraments of the Holy Catholic Church in order to go to heaven. We need to make a judgment about that. Is that true or false? If someone says to you, Jesus is a great moral teacher, he's a good man, he was a great prophet, great spiritual leader, but he's certainly not God. We have to make a judgment about that teaching. So those are two areas where we have to judge. And we would be disobedient to Christ if we did not, right? So we don't judge when it comes to motives, when it comes to showing contempt. We do judge when it comes to false doctrine, and we do judge in cases of unrepentant sin. Now, where do I get that? I get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read to you verse 3 and verse 12. Now, let me give you a little background. In the the church of Corinth, there was apparently a man there who was having sexual relations with his stepmother, his father's wife. And the church was arrogant about this. They were so arrogant that they they thought they were so tolerant and so together and so accepting that, you know, we're just going to let this go. We're not going to say anything about it. And again, Paul was furious when he heard that this was just being accepted and nobody was doing anything about it. And this is what he says in verse 3. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him, there's our word, who has so committed this, as though I were present. And then verse 12 he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Judge not that you be not judged. That means that you should never call anybody on the carpet, right? If somebody is living a sexually immoral lifestyle, if someone is engaged in a homosexual lifestyle and they're practicing that kind of lifestyle, if someone is a swindler or a crook or a drug addict or an alcoholic and he continues on in that lifestyle without repentance and we say, brother, you need to repent, you must repent. Have we broken the commandment of Jesus not to judge? Not according to the Apostle Paul. He tells us there in verse 12, Do you not judge those who are within the church? Yes, of course. It, It calls for an affirmative response. Yes, we do that. We must do that. If someone says they're a Christian, they're held to a higher standard than someone who doesn't say they're a Christian. Paul says, We don't judge outsiders. But if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus if they make that claim, then they're going to have to live up to that claim. And that means they're going to have to be a repenter. And if they're living an ongoing sin without repentance, they need to be called to account. And if they will not repent after someone goes to them in private and then someone goes to them with one or two witnesses, and then the whole church urges them to repent and they still won't repent, Jesus said you're to consider them like a Gentile or a tax gatherer. In other words, they're to be cut off from the church. And that you're not even to associate with them. You're not even to eat a meal with them. This is the discipline that the church must exercise is in cases of unrepentant sin, where we have to make a judgment. If someone stands up, let's see a, a preacher stands up and he says, Homosexuality is sin. In our day and age, what's going to happen? <laughs> All hell's going to break loose, isn't it? You are going to be attacked, you're going to be vilified, people are going to say you are intolerant and judgmental. How could you dare say such a thing as that? Are we being judgmental in the sense that Jesus was speaking of being judgmental in Luke 6:37? No. No. If a preacher stands up and tells the truth about sin, he's being faithful. He's not being sinful. He's being a faithful shepherd. And if he says, and if any of you are engaged in practicing that lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's telling the truth. He's quoting 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He's saying again what God has already said. So no we're not being intolerant or judgmental we're being loving because we want to see souls saved and the only way they will be saved is if they turn from a life of sin to Jesus Christ as their only hope okay the third question we want to ask today is this what are the positive results of not judging others what are the positive results well look at verse 37 and 38 Remember, there's four commands, and with every command there is a corresponding blessing that comes back to you if you obey that command. Do not judge, and what do you receive? You will not be judged. Do not condemn, and what happens? You won't be condemned. Pardon, and you receive pardon. Give, and you are given back to. And every command that you obey, Jesus says there is a corresponding blessing where there is something that you receive. You give non-judgment, you're going to receive that. You give non-condemnation, you're going to receive non-condemnation. You give forgiveness, you're going to receive forgiveness. Now, it's debated as to whether Jesus was saying that God is going to give you these things God won't judge you, God won't condemn you, God will forgive you. Or if this is something that comes back from your fellow man, if you are not judging other people, they will tend not to judge you. If you don't condemn other people, they will tend not to condemn you. If you forgive other people, they will tend to forgive you back. If you give to them, they'll tend to give back to you. Although this is a debated issue and I'm not sure which one it is, I lean towards the second way. Because Jesus says in verse 38, "Given and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap. And I take the word they to mean other people. You are a giver. You're a generous giver. Other people will be generous. And God will make sure that other people pour into your lap. So the positive blessing, the positive results of not judging others is that these things will come back to you. Remember Jesus said in... John 6, verse 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Because if you treat others the same way you want them to treat you, often they will. If you're a kind person, haven't you found this to be the case? People will respond in kindness. If you are a giving person, they will respond in giving back to you. Remember the law of reciprocity we talked about last week? If, you, um, if, if there's an enemy that does something bad to you, the law of reciprocity means that you want to give back to them judgment. You want to give back to them some vengeance. They, they stole something from you, you want to steal something from them. But it also works in the positive. If, if you do something kind or nice or good or generous to somebody else, the law of reciprocity says that that eventually comes back to you. So, the positive result is that these things come back to us. Now, look at verse 38. Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, what in the world is he talking about? This comes from first century markets where you would go into the market and buy grain. And you would tell them how much grain you wanted. And so they would take their container and they'd pour the grain in and then they'd press it down to make room for more. And then they'd shake it and it would also settle down even further. And then they would keep pouring until there was a mound and it began to spill over. And then they would take this container and you'd pull out your robe and you'd hold it by the two corners and they would pour this grain into your robe and it was a big pocket and you'd carry that grain home. So what's Jesus saying? If you give, it's going to be given back to you generously. Just like when you went to buy that grain, the fellow was generous. It's the difference between, you know, one teaspoon and a heaping teaspoon. You know, you make your oatmeal in the morning and it says two tablespoons. Well, I put two heaping tablespoons of brown sugar in my oatmeal. (laughs) It's heaped over the top. It's a generous supply. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. If you are a generous giver, you're going to receive back generously from your father. And then he says, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you give out acceptance and love and forgiveness and mercy with a tablespoon, you're going to receive a tablespoon back of mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. But if you use a five-gallon bucket to deal that out, you're going to get five-gallon buckets full of acceptance and mercy and forgiveness. Whatever standard you use, that's the standard that will come back to you. And even though I said I don't think primarily this has to do with financial giving, I think it can include that because in 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul says, He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. So if you plant a lot of seeds by giving a lot, you're going to have a harvest, a bigger harvest than if you only put a couple of seeds in the ground, you're getting a little tiny harvest. It works in terms of giving but it also works in terms of accepting others and forgiving others and pardoning others and not judging others so that's what he says here about the positive results of not judging now let's look at the negative results of judging others we've seen the positive results of not judging others what are the negative results of judging others look at verse 39 he also spoke a parable to them A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Now look at verse 39. A blind man can't guide a blind man, can he? I mean, that's obvious. You take a blind man, and he's leading another blind man, and there's a pit coming up, they're off into the pit, both of them. <laughs> They're both going to fall into the pit. Jesus is saying, if you are blind to your sin, but you are judgmental towards others, you're like a blind man, and you're trying to have this leadership, this influence on other people's lives, but you're a judgmental person, and you're blind to your own faults and your own shortcomings. How can you possibly help that individual when, when you're blind to your own problems yourself? You're just going to lead them into a pit. You're not going to be able to help them at all. You're going to have a harmful influence in their life. And then, verse 40, the pupil's not above his teacher. The word pupil is a synonym for disciple. The word disciple simply means learner. That's what a pupil is, a learner. So, a disciple is not above his teacher. If you are trying to disciple somebody, you want to have positive spiritual influence over somebody else's life. Jesus is saying, that disciple will never be able to rise higher than you. If they want to learn how to follow Jesus by watching you, and you're blind to your sins but judgmental of everybody else, guess what? They're going to turn out just like you. Instead of having a positive influence on them, you're going to have a negative influence on them. And so the negative influences of judging others are, number one, we're going to have a harmful influence on their life. A damaging one, not a helpful one. And then secondly, not only are we going to have this harmful influence, but he goes on to say in verse 41 and 42, you're not going to be able to help them. It's kind of the flip side of the same thing. Because there he says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that tiny little speck of sawdust from your eye when you've got this big log (laughs) flowing out of this eye. Now, let me just ask you something. If you got a little speck of of, uh, maybe a little splinter stuck in your eye and you went to a famous eye surgeon and he was going to perform a delicate eye operation on you. But yet he has his eyes swollen shut. How confident are you going to be that that operation is going to turn out okay? (laughs) Jesus says, when we're blind to our own sin, it's like walking around these logs coming out of our eyes. We can't see a thing ourselves. How can we possibly help somebody else with a tiny speck when we've got this log coming out of our own eye? I mean, this tells me Jesus had a sense of humor. How else could he come up with this illustration (laughs) without having a sense of humor? So... The negative effects of judging is we will be a harmful influence and we will not be able to help those that we want to help. But let's, let's go on to this one. What must we do before we judge others? This is the last question we want to think about. What must we do before we judge others? Well, according to verse 41 and 42, we need to deal with the sin in our life before we deal with the sin in somebody else's life. Now notice he doesn't say not to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right? That's normally how we read that. Oh, that means I should never try to correct anybody of anything. That's not what he says. He says, do it, but don't do it until you've taken the log out of your own eye first. In other words, if there's a glaring issue in your life and you're trying to help somebody else with something teeny-weeny and small, don't do it. Stop and go to the Lord and ask the Lord to show you the glaring sins in your life and to remove them through repentance. And then, when you've dealt with your sins, then go and help your brother with the issues that he's facing as well. But don't do it before you've dealt with the issues yourself. And he also says if you're blind to your own sin but judgmental towards others, you're hypocrites. He calls them that in verse 42. You hypocrites, first take the log out. And notice how he contrasts here the log with the speck. Both of those things are made out of the same substance, aren't they? Wood. A tiny, tiny little piece of wood versus a huge rafter beam. But it's the same substance. It's, both represent sin in our lives. One's a big sin, one's a little sin. And our problem is that we treat our sins like specks. And we treat other people's sins like logs. We're much harder on everybody else than we are on ourselves, aren't we? I mean, if you're like me, you are. I don't know why that is. That's just human nature. That's our sinful fallen nature that causes us to do this. We think of ourselves and we think, well, I'm a quiet person. This person over there, they're just unassertive. They might also be quiet, but I don't call them a quiet person. I call them an unassertive person. Or I'm a frugal person. They're a tightwad. I'm just concerned about the situation. That person's nosy. I just drive with the flow of and traffic. This person's a reckless driver. And we're all doing the same thing, but we look at it from our vantage point as being so much less serious than we do from someone else's vantage point. So what I found to be very helpful for me is that when I find myself judging somebody else for something is to say, wait a minute, Brian, have you ever done the same thing that they're doing? Or something similar? And guess what? Usually I have to say yes. And you know what that does to me? It lays me out flat. I'm crushed. I'm humbled to the floor when I think, God, what in the world am I doing judging somebody else when I'm the same way and I've done the very same thing? Forgive me, Lord. See, that's what this will do for you. I, I had a terrible time uh, years back. I had a terrible time trying to figure out how do I stop this, this thing of judging? And it was, it, was, it, was, it was a horrible thing in my life. It was a problem. And this is what helped me. So I hope it can help you. If, if you see somebody else and you think they're doing this thing wrong, okay, maybe it is wrong, but have you ever done the same thing? And if you have, it's going to give you compassion for that person. It's gonna, and if you do go to them eventually and talk to them, you're going to talk to them in a spirit of humility, not pride, not arrogance. And you're going to have a heart of meekness and compassion, just like Jesus did. This will help you, because it's helped me quite a bit. So we need to ask the Lord to perform heart surgery on us, eye surgery, take out the logs from our eyes, so that we can go in humility. And we can talk to other people if He directs us to do that. We need to judge our own spiritual state. So what must we do before we judge others? We need to judge our own sin. That's the first one. But then Jesus goes on to talk about judging your own spiritual condition, your own spiritual status. And he does that by talking about the good tree and the bad tree. He says in verse 43, For there is no tree, no good tree, which produces bad fruit, Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart." What's Jesus talking about here? I believe what he's saying is that we need to make sure that we are in the faith, that we are a good tree. How do you know if you are a real Christian? How do you know if you're a good tree? Well, Jesus says it's easy. Good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing in your life? What's issuing forth from your life? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? If it's good fruit, chances are you're a good tree. If it's bad fruit, chances are you're a bad tree and you're not a Christian. You still need to be saved. And so, before we ever approach somebody else or before we make a judgment of anybody else, judge your own sin. And even sometimes we need to go a little bit deeper than that and go to the very root of the matter and ask ourselves Am I a true believer? Am I in the faith? Over in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So there's two questions we need to answer. First of all, what's a good tree? And secondly, what's good fruit? First of all, what's a good tree? Notice in verse 45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. So Jesus is saying the difference between a good tree and a bad tree has to do with if you have a good heart or a bad heart. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that everybody's got a bad heart? Jeremiah 17.9? The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's true, right? Everybody is born with an evil, unbelieving, sinful heart. By nature, the Bible says we're all children of wrath. That's true. But in regeneration, in the new birth, God does something. According to Ezekiel 36, God says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the bad heart, the heart of stone, from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So through the grace of God, a person can go from having a bad heart to a good heart. It's not like God looks down and He sees, Oh, those people have bad hearts and those have good hearts. Now, he looks down on everybody, and they all have bad hearts, and he says, okay, I'm going to exercise some grace here. I'm going to give some good hearts to some people with bad hearts. And he does, through the new birth. When a person is born again, their heart changes. They become a new creature, right? Has anyone ever here experienced this? You went from a bad heart to a good heart. God did that. You didn't do that. God did it for you. In fact, you had nothing to do with that. I don't want to burst your bubble or anything, but God, you really didn't have anything to do with that. God gave it to you. More, Ezekiel 36 says, Moreover, I will give you this new heart. It's not you doing part and God doing part. God does it all. He takes a person who is so depraved and so sinful that they're dead in trespasses and sins, and he makes them alive together with Christ when they were dead. When our heart was dead to God, he infused it with life according to his sovereign mercy. So that's what it means to be a good tree. God in His grace makes a person alive together with Christ. And what that means is that He gives you new desires, new affections, new aspirations, a whole new value system, new priorities in your life. You become a new person. You become a good tree. And a good tree bears good fruit. So now... You start having good values and good aspirations and good desires and good affections according to God's will. So that's the answer to the first question, what's a good tree? But secondly, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, look at verse 45 again. He says, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, and here it comes, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So the heart is the tree, speaking forth from the heart is the fruit. In this particular example, in this scripture, your speech is your fruit, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. God gives you a new heart. You begin to speak forth things. And so you, can, you ought to be able to look at the th- kinds of things you say to determine whether you're a good tree or not. What are the things that come out of my mouth? Am I constantly bringing forth judgmental, critical, fault-finding kinds of words towards other people? Is that the pattern of my life, that my speech is always negative towards other people, judging them? If that is true of you, chances are real good you're a bad tree. You're not a good tree. You're a bad tree. That's why you're producing bad fruit. We need the grace of God to change our hearts because it's like carrying a bucket around. And you carry that bucket, and I do this with my window cleaning all the time, and I carry it back to the truck, and sometimes it tips accidentally, it hits the tailgate, and whatever's in that bucket spills out, right? Whatever's in your heart is going to spill out. You, you come into a stressful situation. If you've got sin in your heart, that stressful situation brings it out, and you begin to speak in a sinful way. So the fruit... Is that which comes forth from the heart and it comes out through the mouth in our speech. So, what have we learned this morning? We have learned that we are not to judge people when it comes to assigning evil motives. We've learned that we are not to judge people when it comes to showing contempt for others. We have discovered also that we must judge others when it comes to areas of false doctrine or unrepentant sin. We found that if we will extend forgiveness and non-judgment, we will receive that back from other people. We've also found that if we do judge others when we're blind to our own sin, we can't help other people. We can't help disciples. We're actually going to be a harmful influence in their life. And we must deal with our own sin first and even sometimes go to the root of the matter and make sure that we are genuinely in the faith if we want to be able to help other people with the specs in their life. So, as we're working through this passage, what about you? Do you ever have a problem with judging somebody else? I mean, let's just admit it if it's true. There's no use denying it. (laughs) We're never going to get any further if we just deny the problem. If you ever judge somebody else, I want to encourage you to remember what Jesus taught here Ask yourself, okay, I'm being judgmental because that person's doing this. They're speeding, or uh, they're sleeping too long, or they're overeating, or whatever it happens to be. Do I ever do that? Well, yeah. Well, then who am I to judge that person? Lord, would you please forgive me, first of all, for judging? Would you please change me so that I don't participate in, in evil behavior? And then, Lord, if you want me to, would you... Just direct me to help that person. Not to judge them or to condemn them, but to actually help them become more like Jesus. You see, the church is to be a place where we do speak to each other in love. But we don't do that in an atmosphere of judgmentalism. We do that in an atmosphere of love and acceptance and forgiveness. That's the way it ought to be. If you see something in my life that maybe I'm blinded to, you need to feel free to come and talk to me about that. And I should have the same freedom to come and talk to you about something in your life. I mean, we're so, in our culture, we're so privatized that we think someone has intruded where they ought not go if they ever dare speak to us about an issue. But but the Bible tells us that Christians are to exhort one another daily, that we're to speak the truth to one another in love. That's what the, the, that should be happening in the church, and we shouldn't be so afraid of offending somebody that we never do that kind of thing. But yet we can't do that in a negative, fault-finding, critical, hypercritical, judgmental kind of a spirit. If we do, we will just will destroy the church will bite and devour each other. So there must be acceptance and forgiveness, but there must be the seeking after truth and the seeking after of helping one another be all that God has called us to be. To all be conformed to the image of Jesus. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this word from Jesus. And we confess our sin of judging. Please have mercy on us, Lord. We pray that we might be merciful. We pray that that we might not condemn others. We pray pray that, Lord, we might be quick to forgive, that we would be harder on ourselves than we are on others around us. We pray, Lord, that we would just be full of grace in our demeanor towards all. Work in us, Lord, and help us cause this to come about for Jesus' glory in His church. We pray in Your name, Lord. Amen.